My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Okay, before we jump in, I just want to let you guys know that I'm working with a new insurance provider. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out more. I started talking about insurance with my clients oof, maybe a year or so ago, and I was so surprised, to be honest, when we started going through things and talking to people and they'd say, yeah, our healthcare in the United States costs us $20,000, $22,000 a year. I was like, whoa, that is unbelievable. Actually, by being an expat, not only can you reduce your cost of living because your rent or your mortgage is less and, and food is less and transport is less, but also your insurance is less. So if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out what I'm talking about. They have worldwide coverage if you're an expat or a digital nomad, so you can actually travel with the insurance. It's going to cover you around the world, and you can probably expect to pay maybe a third, maybe a quarter of what you're paying now. And I mean, me and my family are on this program and we get inpatient, outpatient, full drug plan, zero deductible, dental, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's really like a platinum level plan and it's all included in this. So if you guys are living overseas, even if you have insurance right now, you might want to look at changing. I'm really stoked to be working with this company. And all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance. That's it. Okay. Let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikhail Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today, we are going to do another solo episode. I'm having a lot of fun with these, so I thought we would do another one. Today, what I want to talk to you about is expat life with your family, traveling with your family, moving overseas with your family. What is the good? What is the bad? Maybe some tips, some tricks. How does this all fit together? I've had a lot of experience traveling with my family. I've traveled extensively with my brother when we were in our 20s. He actually moved to Australia and New Zealand with me, so we spent about three years between those two countries. I was actually closer to five years in the South Pacific, but he was with me for about three years of that time. I've had my father come and visit me when I was in the UAE and we went and traveled to Kuwait together. He came over to New Zealand. We've been to Ireland and England and Wales and a couple other places together. When my first child was born, I called up my mother and I asked her to move over to the UAE to help us care for her. So she came over about five years ago, lived at my place for a few years. And then when we moved to Panama as a family, she came with us and she's still with us here in Panama today. I've traveled extensively with my wife and with my children, with both of my children, all over the world. My daughter is five years old and she's been to 15 countries. I've been to at least that many countries with my wife, probably 20 or 
30 countries with my wife. And my son, who as of this recording is only 10 months old, 10, 11 months old, we've done a bunch of countries as well. And we're doing another trip back to Brazil and we'll be taking him to Uruguay with us and lots of fun places. So I think it's neat to travel and live overseas with your family. In today's episode, I want to talk you through all of these things, things that you should know, maybe some strategies, the best way to go about it, maybe even dispel some rumors or some myths about what it is like with a family living overseas. So let's dig into it. Okay, I think some insights straight off the bat. You need to switch your mentality or your mindset because I think that a lot of people don't understand the bond and how strong it can become when you travel or live overseas with your friends and family. Now, living overseas can be very difficult. It can be really, really challenging. But the relationship itself becomes so strong because you really need to count on one another. A lot of times you will have your own life going back home and yes, you'll maybe spend a meal together or you go out to the movies with your spouse, these types of things. But when you move overseas, especially to a country that doesn't speak the same language, you really have to count on each other for everything and you end up spending way more time together. Now, I have seen over and over again families that become closer together. You might think to yourself, oh, that might stress you out. That might add extra pressure to the relationship. In my experience, it certainly hasn't for my family and in all of my friends. These are all happily married couples and the relationship between the spouses is really, really strong. Same with the kids. The kids is usually a really strong relationship. You're going through challenging environments, situations, you're meeting new people and experiencing things that are going to push the boundaries of the relationship. And 99% of the time, it strengthens it. It doesn't break it. So you're going to be able to create all these memories with your family. I also think that it's a massive opportunity in education for your children. If you're thinking about what is it going to be like, are they going to be able to make friends? Are they going to get along? Are they going to experience new things? The answer is absolutely yes. When you move overseas, there's so much to learn for the kids and they're so adaptable. Like my daughter just thinks it's completely normal that she speaks four languages and that her friends are from everywhere in the world. That's normal to her. Imagine when she goes back and she wants to apply for a job or build a business and she's already been challenged so many times in her life living in multiple countries. Everything will be a lot easier and she'll be able to handle these things a lot more. Extended family is one of those things that you often miss out on when you're living as an expat. What we do in our family is all of our friends, friends of the family, become auntie and uncle. So for example, we had my friend Ken and Jin coming to visit us over the last few weeks, and it's not Ken and Jin, it's Uncle Ken and Auntie Jin. And my kids think of them as family. It's always like this. I have another friend of mine visiting me right now his name is Adam. I've known him since I was five years old. It's Uncle Adam, and Adam's son was with us, so that's my daughter's cousin. We play with these things a little bit, but it does give the kids an opportunity to feel extended family, especially when our friends come and visit us over and over again, and on other trips, we go and see them in other countries, or we go traveling with them. So I didn't want my children to miss out on this. So lots of other people become auntie and uncle. Even with our local friends here in Panama where we're living, a lot of our friends, we get really strong bonds with them. We see them on really regular basis. And even you know after the first two or three or four or five times seeing them, they become like part of the family. And we often refer to them as auntie and uncle 
in front of our kids as well. Because we go through such challenging things and it can be so much to move overseas that you really have to form these strong relationships. Or said another way, when you do make friendships, they become very strong very quickly and they become this way naturally. Like you don't have to force these types of things. You know, I like I said before, I have a friend of mine, I've known him since I was five years old. I have lots of friends back home that I've known since I was a really small child. But when you become an expat, you're going through this all fresh. You're going through this by yourself. So you don't have those long-standing relationships. So you have to cultivate them yourself and be a little bit purposeful about it. I want to talk about other ways to make friends and where you're going to be able to meet people a little bit later on. But these are just a few insights that I want to put forth straight away. One of the coolest things that I think about expat life is that your friends are not just from your hometown or your home city or even your home country. They're from all over the world, from all over the world and also from in the host country where you're from. So for example, when I was living in Brazil, we had so many Brazilian friends there, but I was also making friends with other expats. I had a Dutch guy that I was hanging out with and we would go and have coffee with. I was talking to an American guy. If we heard English on the street, I would just walk up and say hello and ask them where they're from. And end up grabbing coffee with different couples. I mean, they were so easy to make friends. And it's so neat to learn about not just the culture of the host country that you're living in, but also other expats who have decided to make this country their home. We're going to be talking about how I got into all of these different countries, how you can get a residency or a citizenship and a passport from different countries in the world on our brand new website at expatmoney.com. I recently bought this domain after going back and forth with these people for about six years, and I forked over a solid four figures to pick up this domain. So Expat Money has become more than just a podcast, so I thought it was really appropriate to have a website that reflects that. So if you guys go to the new website at expatmoney.com, you're going to be able to see lots of work on the immigration, how you guys can set up your own plan B or have a safe harbor home overseas, how you can legally live and work in a different country. It's going to be so much. And check out last week's episode 180, where I talk about a lot of the changes that has happened in the immigration world and all the new programs, which ones are coming in and which ones are coming out. All right, I want to dispel some of the rumors about living overseas because I think that media does not do it a lot of favor. So safety is obviously the number one thing. People seem to think that living overseas is not safe and really only Western Europe, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States are the safe countries. Everywhere else is like an absolute jungle out there and people are killing each other on the streets and it's gang violence and favelas and criminals. And, you know, I've been traveling for 22 years and I have had amazing experiences all over the world. After visiting over a hundred countries and spending like extended amounts of time in these countries, like I'm talking, I spent two months in Colombia in 2003, 2004. I spent two months in Mexico around the same time. I spent two months in Morocco in 2001, I think it was. I've been to Iran and North Korea and Zimbabwe. I've been to El Salvador. We spent six months in Brazil. I mean, lots of different countries for extended periods of time. I can tell you I have never had a problem with safety. Actually, I have one story, but I'm going to tell you that afterwards. 
Actually, the only thing that I've had happen in the last 22 years of traveling was in France, not in El Salvador or Mexico or Colombia or one of these countries. It was in the south of France. And what happened was I was walking down the street and a group of French punks saw me and they started following me. And every time I looked over my shoulder, they were maybe 10 meters behind me and they had their dogs with me and I got totally freaked out. So I found a McDonald's. I went and sat inside the McDonald's. They waited outside for probably an hour, two hours for me and finally got bored and left. And when they left, then I went home and that was it. In 22 years of traveling nonstop, that is the only problem I've ever had in my life. Now, I live in Panama right now and people say, oh, Panama, isn't it dangerous there? It's like, no, Panama's really safe country. I mean, it's as safe as the United States. I would rather walk around Panama, downtown Panama at night than I would in Detroit or in Los Angeles or in Chicago or places like that. I mean, yes, you have to have your head about you. If you're going to the poorest neighborhoods and you're flashing, you're wearing lots of gold and you're pulling out cash and you're being loud and obnoxious, then yeah, probably you're going to get yourself into trouble. But just don't do those types of things. Be smart about what time you're going out, where you're actually going to, how you're dressed, your mannerisms, your behavior. Can you speak the language? What is your attitude? You know, Don't be going out there with the brand new iPhone and being a tourist, taking pictures everywhere. Try to be more of a gray man and blend in. I'm a pretty Caucasian guy, but people don't think straight away that I'm a tourist. You know, I try to look like the locals a little bit. I'm not wearing super expensive clothing everywhere I go. All right, if I have a business meeting or something like that, I'll get dressed nice. I'll take an Uber Black. I'll go there. I'll do my meeting. Then I'll come back and then I put on shorts and a t-shirt again. I'm pretty low key. It was the same thing in Brazil. Yes, I've been to Sao Paulo. Yes, I've been to Rio multiple times and we've been to the favelas and we've checked this out. And yeah, there are dangerous areas there. But where I was living in the south of Brazil in Florianopolis was extraordinarily safe. And we had a group of friends there, all libertarians, lots of doctors and people with proper careers. And all of them say it was the only place in Brazil that they actually felt safe. And I thought this is awesome, you know, so you actually had really good people coming into the city and wanting to spend time there and wanting to keep it safe. So listen to the locals, ask where they go, find out which areas they spend time in. And if you can do that, you'll probably be fine. Mexico is another fantastic example for this. There is a lot of violence in Mexico, but it's not the entire country. You have to think Mexico is a massive, massive country. A lot of the violence is happening close to the U.S. border, where a lot of the gangs and the drug cartels are. And then you can expect in some of the tourist areas, you know, petty crime, pickpocketing, these types of things. But in a lot of the country, it's actually okay. The safety is okay. As long as you're following the things that I said before, no need to repeat myself. I think you guys understand. Keep your head about you. Don't be the ugly American. Don't go out there and get drunk or get really high and cause problems with people. I think a lot of the problems come down to you, how you behave in these types of environments. I also lived in the Middle East for eight years. I've had lots of people think that it's really dangerous over there, which is actually hilarious because some of the countries I've just mentioned do have big problems with crime. Where I lived in the Middle East, there were zero problems with crime. No violent crime, no petty crime, no nothing. I lived in Abu Dhabi, which is the capital of the UAE. Now the UAE is a super, super safe place, but so are some of the neighboring countries. Like you can go over to Kuwait, you can go to Bahrain, to Qatar, to Oman. These are all really, really safe countries. Now, when I say the Middle East, I'm not talking about Iraq. 
or Afghanistan or these types of places that you might see as war zones on mainstream media. No, the UAE and these other GCC countries are super modern. They're very, very wealthy. These are the Gulf states and there's so much going for them. So I really love that part of the world and never felt more safe in my life than living there. And I lived in Singapore as well. I lived in Singapore for a year and I actually found Abu Dhabi to be more safe. So those are some of my thoughts on safety. Let's move on to some things to think about when you become an expat and especially with your family. So the cost of living can be considerably better when you move overseas. Not just the cost of living, but also the tax savings. If you do things correctly, then you can actually at least dramatically reduce your taxes and in some instances even eliminate your tax bill. It's one of the main things that I work with my clients on. Now, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a lawyer, I don't play one on television, but I do have a very deep understanding of the Canadian and American tax system specifically for the expat and offshore space. I don't do domestic tax planning by any means. I work with a lot of the CPAs and tax lawyers. They sign off on everything. So when the new client comes on to me, we look at an overall strategy on how to help them through these things. So you're going to get it from two sides. You're going to be able to get the reduction in the taxes and your cost of living is actually better in most cases when you become an expat, or at least in the expat hotspots in the countries that I often work in. Now, if you decide that you want to go and live in Denmark or somewhere else in Scandinavia, then yeah, probably your taxes are going to go up and your cost of living is going to go up. But in Latin America, you can expect maybe a quarter to a half of what it would cost you to live back home, which is amazing. Think about how many more trips you can do with your family, the opportunities you can give your kids, the higher quality of living, the nicer food. I mean, the less stress that you're going to have to worry about because lack of funds. I think living overseas is excellent, no matter what economic level you are on. Now, the standard of living is also something we need to discuss. You know, a lot of people think that living overseas or living in Latin America or in Southeast Asia, it's all third world countries. And like I said before, it's just a complete jungle and there's no civilization here, just super, super poor. That is not a very accurate picture. Actually, there's 193 countries in the world and pretty much all of them are free countries. Now, there are different degrees of prosperity in these countries. I'm not going to argue that. But you can come down to a place like Panama and have first world living and never see poverty and actually be adding to the economy to actually make the country more wealthy, help this country by moving down here. And you're not gonna be living in poverty or even see poverty. I don't see poverty ever. I live in a fantastic neighborhood in downtown Panama. It is very wealthy here. Everyone here is well-to-do. You're gonna meet really interesting people from all over the world. And the movers and shakers of the Panamanians themselves. Lots of them are friends of mine. So. I think that we can just kind of get that idea out of your head straight away. The standard of living is also really amazing is the food. So you have fantastic restaurants, especially in some of the bigger cities. So, you know, we were in Medellin a couple of months ago. We were spent about three weeks there and the restaurants were fantastic there. The quality of the food was unreal and they had every type of cuisine you could possibly imagine. I had a buddy of mine who was staying here and he had just came back from Mexico City and he was raving about all of the different restaurants there. 
there. I haven't been to Mexico City in many years, but I remember going to these places and just being blown away by the quality of the food and how affordable it was. You can also expect a lot of the countries to have naturally organic food. They don't have the same type of money to spray chemicals all over the place. They do more traditional farming methods. So you're actually gonna naturally eat healthier in most cases coming down to Latin America. The Ubers, oh my God. I love Uber. I think, <laughs> I think it is the greatest invention ever. Now, here in Panama, it costs us about $3.50 to $4.25 to go to most places in the city. And if I need to take an Uber Black, you're talking about maybe five and a half or $6. Even to go out to the airport, which might be a 20 or 30 minute drive, you're only looking probably at about $15, maybe $16 in an Uber. I mean, I've had it before. The lowest I've ever had is $12 to get back from the airport. I think that is hilarious. If you go back home, that same type of trip might cost you $50, $60. Now, every time you can save money, that's more money you can put into your business, more experiences you can have with your kids, more holidays, more you can grow your own investments. So I'm a big, big fan of saving money in things like this. Another amazing thing, when you live in one of these quote unquote third world countries or you live in Latin America or you live in South Pacific or you live in Southeast Asia is domestic help. We have a full-time nanny that works for us and we have a cleaning lady. And we're even talking about getting a second nanny or at least a helper who can cook for us and do all of the shopping. Now, if you have domestic help, I'm, I can't quote for every single country out in the world, but as Panama as an example, you can expect to pay between about four and $500 for live-in help for domestic. And if you have live-out domestic help, you're probably going to spend maybe six, seven, eight hundred dollars For me, that is money well spent. Anytime that you can free your time up to do things that are actually going to earn you more money or let you rest so your mind can be at ease and you can be creative in building your business or helping others, I think is one of the best investments you can ever make. Now, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago where I talked about the 94 things that I do to set myself up for success. And that was one of the big ones is the domestic help. I haven't cleaned a toilet in so many years. I haven't cleaned the floors or dusted or vacuumed or done any of these types of things in years and years and years. No, I spend that same amount of time building my business, producing content, working with my private clients, or I might spend the time just playing with my kids or having a conversation with my wife. I would rather pay someone else to do those menial tasks, help drive the economy, and let someone have a good life with those wages and for me to build my business instead. Okay, next up, climate. You know, this is one of the greatest things about living overseas. You can actually choose your most perfect climate, exactly what you want. For me, I really like hot weather. I grew up in southwestern Ontario and it was really cold and I don't like the cold at all. The only thing that I like about the cold is downhill skiing. If I'm going to go downhill skiing, then okay, I'll put up with the snow. But otherwise, no thanks. I don't want to be shoveling snow. I don't want to slip on the ice and break my neck. No thank you. Not interested whatsoever. When we were in Medellin, it was this amazing springtime weather. I love the climate there. We might get another place there. We're looking at doing a residency. When I was in Colombia, I spent a lot of time going back and forth 
forth with the law firms. We were looking at different investment opportunities, structuring of businesses. So we're fully set up there to help our clients with relocating down to Columbia, getting the residency and picking up real estate. I mean, that's an amazing client. Same thing with Brazil. We're fully set up in Florianopolis. I have people who can do the birth tourism like we did. I have real estate agents. I have immigration lawyers. I have service providers. We're fully set up to help my clients there. And the climate there is amazing. So if you're looking at different places where you can live, you know, you can be really particular about the climate and choose that exact thing. I actually have my clients go through a questionnaire when I first start working with them, all their likes, wants, and needs. And we help narrow down different countries and different cities that they could live in. And climate is a really important one that people should be thinking about. Okay, moving on. So with real estate, a lot of people seem to come down to Latin America and think that they're just going to be able to pick up a mortgage, put 10, 20% down and grab a place and live there. In 99% of the cases, that is not the way it works. Getting any type of financing can be very difficult. Possibly, possibly, possibly after you become a resident, you might be able to get financing. But even that can be really challenging. Also, if you're used to one, two, three percent interest rates, I can tell you that that is not the case when you live overseas. I've seen eight, 10, 12 percent interest rates. Also, to qualify for residency, usually real estate is a way that that is done. So they're not going to allow you to finance your real estate to get your residency. You're going to have to have some type of a lump sum already set aside. What often happens when people are coming down is they're liquidating their primary residency back home, purchasing a property, and then picking up the visa on the back end of that. So don't have in your head that you're going to be able to get a mortgage. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm not saying that it's impossible. It's really dependent on the country and the sophistication of the financial markets there, but it's just not really common. In the same vein of real estate is land. I think that a lot of people are coming down to Latin America and picking up huge plots of land right now. And it's really interesting. You know, this off-grid and homesteading type of communities are moving out of the US and Canada or maybe even first timers who are doing this are coming down to Latin America because you can get such huge pieces of land for cheap, 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 which I think is really, really exciting. Now you have to be worried a little bit about the safety and you have to make sure that the property itself is always guarded. So what they will do is a lot of people will offer a local family to move on the land and they're kind of caretakers. So if the family travels or they go on vacation, there's always someone there who's watching it. And I think that this is a good opportunity. You know, you can barter with them. They can build a home there or they can spend time in the guest house and you don't really pay them they can go out there and have a normal job, but they're gonna be looking after the property while you're there. Or you pay them a little bit and they do some of the landscaping or some of the farm work. If you can get a young family to do this, I think it's a great relationship. So something to think about too. Okay, vehicles. We moved down to Panama and we decided to get rid of our car in the UAE. We sold it off for a pretty decent price and decided not to ship it over. Now in Panama, they're kind of like bumper cars here. A lot of the cars are like really beat up and lots of dings on them and stuff like that. We're thinking about buying a vehicle now, not so much so we can travel around Panama City, but so that we can get out of the city and I can take my family out to the beach or we can go out to the highlands, but we're gonna need a big one. I think we'll need a seven seater just to get my domestic help and my kids and my mother and the wife and everybody into the vehicle. So we're gonna need a seven or eight seater. The options for that where we live are not great. 
great. So instead, what we're thinking about doing is buying something in the United States and then having it shipped down here on a shipping container. And because it's for personal use, not for resale, there's actually really good tax breaks for this. So that's what we're going to be looking at next. And I'll probably do an entire episode or at least a blog article on what that experience is. We have shipped cars overseas before. The car we had in the UAE, we actually shipped from Canada over. And it was a bit of an adventure, I'm not going to lie to you, but we learned a lot through that too. We'll just take a quick break. So in episode 137 of the podcast, I interviewed Marco Wutzer to talk about blockchain and the future of the internet. This was an amazing interview and I got so much great feedback. What a lot of people don't know is that Marco actually runs a paid newsletter where he talks about all of the projects that he's investing his own money in. He has a huge following of people and his track record is phenomenal. I want you guys to go and take a look. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto. Follow along with the professionals. Don't try to do this your own. If you're already trading crypto, then get the best analysis and information out there. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto and make sure to check out our interview with Marco Wutzer. Okay, that's it. Let's get back into today's interview. Okay, another thing that I want to discuss with you about living overseas with your family is the medical care. I know it's a number one priority for a lot of people. So you have to understand that in Latin America, at least at the good hospitals, a lot of the doctors were actually trained overseas. So they may have gone to university in Canada or in the United States. A lot of them will speak English, not so much with the nurses, but definitely with a lot of the doctors. That's been our experience. And I'm not just talking about Panama. I'm talking about Costa Rica. I've seen this in Mexico. Mexico, certainly in Brazil, where we were living in Colombia too. We did a huge video on medical tourism in Colombia. If you go to our YouTube channel, if you actually just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash YouTube, it'll take you to the page where you can subscribe and then just look on there for medical tourism. And we did a big video on that in Colombia. And that's one of the things that we talked about is that a lot of the doctors are actually trained overseas and then they come back to their home country. We can also talk about the hospitals. Hospitals, when you live overseas, are actually really good quality, especially if you're going private. You know, I don't deal with the public system at all. I always encourage people to use private, either through your insurance or pay out of pocket. We have a John Hopkins, which isn't too far away from our house, and the quality and the equipment and the doctors and the staff are just phenomenal there. It's the same thing in lots of the countries that I've traveled to in Latin America, definitely in Southeast Asia, throughout Thailand and Malaysia, Singapore, all of these countries, the hospitals are just so, so advanced. You know, I used to do a lot of the medical tourism in Korea, and I used to go and visit my dentist there in South Korea. And the dental work was just such high quality, quality that you would never see in Canada. But that's not what you would ever see in mainstream media or in movies or anything like that. So the hospitals and the doctors are really, really great, actually. Okay, healthcare. Now, when you become a resident in another country, you can often get the public system and get access to their healthcare. Although I think in 22 years, I don't think I've ever used the public system of healthcare. I've always preferred to have my own insurance. I always try to make sure that I am not paying taxes in whatever country that I'm living in, legally, of course. And because of such, I don't feel like it's a good idea to use their public systems. So 
with the insurance, I'm working with a company right now. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you'll be able to learn more about them. They do health insurance and they do travel insurance. So either one that you're looking at picking up, you can do through that. And the insurance rate can be considerably less. Like I think, you know, a family of four, you can expect to pay maybe $6,000 a year. I've had people have told me they were paying like twenty, twenty-five thousand $25,000 a year back home in the United States. And with this, you can get inpatient, outpatient, you can get a drug plan, you can have a dental plan on there. I mean, there's just so many things. So you can really live like a king or a queen overseas and not have to worry about the medical situation whatsoever. Okay, schooling. Schooling is a really big one. If you have children, you need to look at what the laws are. Are you going to be able to put your kids in the local school system? Do they have private schools or charter schools? Do they have international schools? Can you homeschool your kids? I'm a big proponent for homeschooling or world schooling or unschooling or anything that falls underneath this umbrella. I don't really like a lot of the public schools. I mean, I've had some friends who have tried public schools for their kids as just kind of a cultural experience, which was fine for one semester or one year or something. But it's just not at the level that you would probably want in education for your children. Now, international schools can be a good option, but they can be also very, very pricey. When I lived in the Middle East, you could expect probably about $30,000, $35,000 a year per child for international schools. And it might just be a rehashing of the domestic schools back home, but now offered in that country. So that's not really a great option either. What we decided to do to kind of solve this problem and help a lot of the families was start our own school. So what we did was we created a program called the Expat International School. The full title is Expat International School of Freedom and Entrepreneurship. And the freedom and entrepreneurship really speak to the value that we have in this organization. I partnered with a really experienced curriculum designer. He has over 30 years experience in the United States building programs. He comes from a Montessori background. And the program that we're doing is for ages 8 to 19 years old. So we have a junior program from 8 to 11, a middle school from 11 to 14, and a high school from 14 to 19 years old. It's completely virtual, and the kids are from all over the world and are traveling and living in many, many countries. We even have kids who are still living in the United States who are attending the school, but the parents wanted their children to have an international experience. So they were joining the program as well. It is awesome. I've sat in on the classes many times and seen the reaction and the engagement with the kids. It's been so phenomenal. We've done a whole bunch of webinars. If you guys are on the newsletter, you'll hear me talking about it. There's so much going on on this. But if you haven't seen it or you want to learn more, all you have to do is go to expatschool.io. There's going to be a contact us form there or you can schedule a call. You can learn more about the program and we'd be happy to discuss your family and the education that you want to have for your children. Okay, next I want to discuss sports and activities. Now we're going to be talking about all of the benefits for making friends and where this comes in, but we're going to be talking about this later on. So sports have been a big part of my life. Now I've never been really into team sports, but I've always been really athletic. I did martial arts for about 11 years when I was growing up and that was everything to me. So last year I put my daughter into karate because it had such a big impact on who I am as an adult and 
taught me so many things about myself. It was an experience that I wanted her to have. She started off by going four times a week. It was like Monday to Thursday for an hour. And most of the kids were kind of going two hours a week. Like I think they'd go Monday and Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday. We decided to do four hours a week straight off the bat. Then after a few months, she was enjoying it so much that we actually talked to the staff there and asked them if she could go for the older age class as well. So now she's doing back-to-back classes four days a week. So about two hours a day, four days a week, which means she's learning so fast. And she's making so many connections there. She's making so many friends. The whole thing is in Spanish, so she's improving her Spanish. I would argue that her Spanish is pretty much at native level already, but it's putting her in situations that she might not normally have and improving her language at such a rapid pace. We also take our kids to the park on a regular basis. We're very fortunate here in Panama that there's lots of parks here. There's Park Omar, there's national parks here. There's lots of outdoor activities. And when you go to these places, you can easily make friends, which I think is so cool because in Latin America, everybody gets along. You will see people doing barbecue, they'll be doing karaoke, they'll be doing birthday parties outside. You can literally just walk up, say hello, they'll offer you a piece of cake and you can just start chit-chatting with people. We've done it many times and nobody thinks it's weird. It's a totally okay thing. My daughter is actually the one to do it most. She'll see someone having a birthday party in the park and she'll run over and start playing with the kids. She'll come back like 15 minutes later with a piece of cake and we're all laughing, you know? because it's so safe in these areas and it's so family oriented in Latin America that this is just normal. We take our kids swimming on a regular basis as well. We're fortunate to have a pool downstairs at our condo. So there's always other families there. We're talking with them. The kids all get to play together. You know, even people who we wouldn't normally spend time with because the kids get to interact, we make friends with them as well. As I said, I don't play a lot of team sports, so I haven't yet put my children into any team sports, but I can see the benefits of it. Obviously, in Latin America, soccer is the number one thing, or football. We'll see as our daughter grows older and as my son grows older, if he has interests, then for sure we're going to be doing that as well. And when we lived in Brazil, actually, we were across the street from a big football pitch. So we would go over there and watch that sometimes, and you could chit-chat with other families that were there. So I think that the team sports aspect is really interesting. You're also going to get a lot of cultural insights about the country that you live in if you participate and if you are fans in these types of sports. You know, when I lived in Australia, cricket was super, super popular. So we went to a bunch of cricket matches. We had friends who were Indian. We had friends who were Pakistanis. We would go with them and we would watch the cricket matches. And that was quite a cultural experience for me. It's not something that I really understood or knew the rules of when I lived in southwestern Ontario growing up. But when I lived in Australia, for sure, I got to learn about that. When we lived in New Zealand and we got to go watch the All Blacks playing rugby or go watch the Sevens tournament, that was really cool. And it gave me a lot more insight into the people and who they are and what they hold dear to them by watching a lot of these types of team sport. As for activities, I think Meetup is a great place to go. You know, we've been on Meetup many, many times over the years in different countries, and we've done lots of like hiking activities or going to the beach, going out for dinners, having networking events, all done through Meetup. I haven't used it 
recently here in Panama, especially during the pandemic. I think a lot of things shut down, but maybe it's something that we'll look at again. I know my mother loves this as well, and she's gone to many meetups in lots of the different countries that we've been in, and so easy to make friends there. Like that's exactly what it's set up for. When we lived in Brazil, we also got connected with a WhatsApp group that had probably about a hundred expats in there. And they used to go every single weekend to go play sports, to go surf, to go kiteboarding, these types of things, or even to go play volleyball, other sports like that. So I think that WhatsApp groups, if you can get connected with one person, then you can join a lot of these programs and, and different activities through that. Okay, languages and studying languages as a family. Now, when we first moved to Panama, what we did was we actually got a tutor who came to the house for three hours. I had already had a bit of experience with Spanish, so I did an hour by myself, and then my wife and my mother did two hours together, one-on-one -on -one with the tutor. I think that was a really great starting place. For my kids, for my daughter, to learn Spanish for her, all we did was we hired a nanny and the nanny only speaks Spanish and they play together every day for four or five hours. Well, after, well, not even after a year, she's been with us for about a year now, but after probably about three months, I would say my daughter was fluent. We also changed our daughter's tablet to Spanish a couple of years ago, right? Basically right when we got here, we changed it to Spanish. So if she watches her cartoons on Netflix or Disney Plus or something, it all is Spanish. So we don't let her watch too much cartoons, but when she does, it's always in another language. She's not allowed to watch in English. We've actually gotten to the point now where she's not allowed to watch in Spanish because her Spanish is already so strong that she's not really learning anything from that. We do put it in Chinese for her. She's fluent in Chinese. My, my daughter is native level in English, Spanish, and Mandarin Chinese, and now she's learning Russian as well. So usually these days we put her tablet in Russian, and then five days a week we have a private tutor who comes over and spends about two hours with my daughter, an hour and a half to two hours, depending on traffic, <laughs> depending if she's on time. She spends two hours with my daughter every single day. So her Russian is getting very strong, very, very quick. Sometimes if her tablet does not have programs in Russian, we switch it to German and she can watch a lot of the programs in German as well. I wouldn't say she's fluent in German, but she does know and understand a lot of that as well. I think languages are really, really interesting. And the study of how kids learn language or how anybody learns languages is so fantastic. We've done so many programs on this. Actually, if you go back through the back catalog of this program, you'll probably see a dozen episodes on language. Now, obviously, when you live in the country, you're going to be able to pick it up. But what I think that a misconception is, is when you move overseas with your family to a new country, that you're just going to automatically learn the language. Now, I have not seen this happen. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. You have to be really purposeful about it. And if you're thinking about moving overseas, my number one recommendation would be start learning the local language today, not later, not when you arrive, not after you arrive. Start learning today. The best way I have seen is to use my friend Ollie Richards' courses. If you go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language, you're going to be able to find a whole host of different languages. He has language programs in probably eight or 10 different languages at this point, And they're really, really high quality. I've gone through the Spanish one. My mother and my wife have gone through the Spanish one. And we really like it. I think it's a great option. I've also studied a lot from his books and different types of coursework. He has a lot of more advanced courses as well. So I've been through those. Definitely start learning the local language before you leave. 
it's not something you want to put off to the last moment. And I'll tell you why. When you move overseas, if you don't speak any of the local language, then you're often going to fall in with only other expats. You're not going to have any local friends. And you're going to get in this expat bubble, as we call it. And if that happens, years can go by and you won't have any local friends, which means you won't have any interaction with the local language. You might just learn a couple of words, like how to order your food or how to go to the bathroom or ask where the bathroom is or something like that. That's not enough. To make a real cultural connection to a country, you need to understand the language. I'm not saying you need to be perfect, but at least a starting level and working on it on a regular basis is going to give you a much deeper experience. Trust me, I've been living overseas for 22 years. I know. <laughs> okay, moving on. So, making friends. Friends is actually really easy to make, I find, when living overseas. Maybe I'm just an outgoing person. I don't really consider myself an extrovert. I actually consider myself really an introverted type of person who has forced myself to be very extroverted. But I make friends really, really easily, I have to say. I have so many groups of friends, and in Panama, I probably have a hundred friends. And I always joke with people that my master plan is to help so many people move down to Panama, all the coolest people in the world. So I've got people that I can have neat conversations conversations and interesting conversations with. And it's the same thing with Brazil. Like we're buying a home there. We're getting our residency there. We'll do our citizenship in Brazil. You know, I want to bring so many cool places down to that country so that I have people to talk to, you know? I love the locals. I love having local friends, but I also like having a huge expat community as well. Now, we mentioned meetups before. I think that's a great way to connect with people. Also parties. If you get invited to one party, you're going to meet so many other people there. I have friends who every year they throw a huge birthday party for, well, not seven, I was about to say a seven-year-old, I think he's probably about 10 years old now, but we've been going every year and we always meet lots of people and exchange numbers and go for coffee with other families. You know, kids' birthday parties is quite a big thing here in Latin America. The piñatas, oh my God, the piñatas are crazy in this part of the world. I think I've videotaped some of them. I, I have to start publishing. Maybe I'll do like a, a montage of kids' birthday parties with the piñatas. They are just absolutely savage attacking this effigy of their favorite superhero. I just can't believe it. It's so wild to watch. But anyways, yeah, kids' birthday parties are surprising places that you'll actually get connected with other families. I've made friends with Uber drivers. I actually have a good buddy of mine. I go and play pool with him. Not so much on a regular basis now, but my first year that I was here in Panama, we used to go and shoot pool like every single week. And he was my Uber driver and he was studying English and I was studying Spanish. So we would go play for maybe two hours and for half the time I would speak Spanish and half the time he would speak English. And we'd do a bit of a language swap with that. So that was a lot of fun. Actually, I might even message him and go shoot some pool again soon. I'm sure my game has gone down drastically during the pandemic and a lot of these things were closed. Yeah, we make a lot of connections through through our kids, through karate, through the swimming pool, through the park. We're always talking to other families. You know, the kids are absolutely fearless. They make friends instantly. There's always playgrounds, not just in the park, but there's playgrounds at the mall. So there's lots of kids that are running around. And, you know, my daughter is very brave, so she'll just go up and talk to anybody. We make a lot of friends through the Chinese community as well. We do a lot of shopping at Chinatown in Panama. So we go down there to pick up special ingredients or to pick up or different vegetables or the sauces and things like that. My wife knows a lot of the people from the community there. So sometimes we might meet up with them or we go to the Chinese restaurants and we start talking with people there. So we make lots of friends through those connections as well. I'm also very fortunate because I have this podcast, I have the newsletter, I have so much going on in the offshore and expat space 
that I am able to make friends with my subscribers. And then I start working one-on-one with my private clients and a lot of the private clients become like really, really good friends of mine. I've had private clients that I've been working with for five years plus. I've actually had private clients who have been such good friends that they've now come and stayed at my house that my kids now call them aunt and uncle and we've gone out for a hundred dinners together in multiple countries, you know? So that's how my relationship has developed with a lot of my private clients. I don't think of them just as clients. I really think of them as part of the family. So that's a really amazing opportunity. I've also met up with a lot of people from the Expat Money Forum. If you guys go to expatmoneyforum.com, you can join us. It's a private Facebook group. We have over 5,000 people in the group now. So I can't say that I know every single person on a first name basis, but a lot of the connections are made there. And if you're going to a new country, if you're going to Costa Rica or you're going to Ecuador or to Mexico or to any of these countries, just put out a message and say, hey, I want to do a meetup. I want to get together. Who's in the country? Who wants to go? for coffee, who wants to go grab a couple of drinks, and you'll more than likely get a few people. We did this when we went to Colombia, and I think I had 19 subscribers there, and we had a big, big party there. So I'm going to actually do a lot more of that. I think it's a great opportunity for connecting with people is through the forum. So yeah, at expatmoneyforum.com, that's a great opportunity. So Anyways, my last kind of piece of advice for you is if you want to be an expat, then give it a try. You don't need to sell everything, get rid of your house, burn all your bridges, burn your boats behind you and only go forwards. You can also try these things out. You can spend, say, a month or three months and go down to a country, rent an Airbnb with your family, rent a car and see what it's like. I think that this is a great way to do it. Now, with the progress in remote work, you probably don't even need to tell your boss that you're moving overseas. Or if you own your own business, you can probably transfer a lot of it online. You know, if you normally see clients in person, see what it would be like to do things remotely with Zoom or with Skype or these other type of applications that are out there. I run my business 100% remote and that's the best way for me. It really allows my lifestyle, the way that I want to live my life and the connections that I'm able to make with my friends and my family while I'm traveling around the world. I think that this is so amazing. So if you guys want to try this, don't feel like it is the biggest decision in the world. Try it for a couple of months and see how it goes. You can always go back and get rid of your stuff later. You can either sublet your place, you can have it house sit, you can rent it out to somebody. There's so many different options out there. You just need to be a bit creative. Now, We have done over 180 episodes of this show, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Go back, download the previous episodes. Like, honestly, go out there and download, you know, the 100 most interesting episodes to you. Each episode should be a little masterclass on how to do that topic. I don't think of the Expat Money Show as individual episodes. I think about them as classes or courses at university. You know, you're getting a PhD by listening to this show in expat living, and everyone is going to go really, really deep. The way that I try to present the show is that I want the content to be as evergreen as possible. That means that even if you're listening to an episode today that was recorded 12 months ago, or two years ago, or five years ago, I still want it to be applicable today. The topics and the things that we're discussing with our guests are evergreen. So make sure that you go back and listen to the show. You can also do me one other favor. When you're going there to download the episodes, 
please rate and review the show. We're trying to get the show out to more people. We are very fortunate. We get tens of thousands of people who listen to the show from all over the world, but I want to grow it. I want to help more people. So make sure you share it on social media. Tell your friends and family about it. Rate and review us, especially on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That is the number one place that people are listening to the show. I think we probably get about 60 or 70% of our people come through Apple Podcasts. So just go on there, take 30 seconds, rate and review the show. I hope you really enjoy it. I hope you get a lot of value from this. And make sure you check out our brand new website at expatmoney.com. We're putting a ton of work into this. We're going to be putting out new articles every single week. That's where you guys are going to be able to get a hold of me if you want to work with me, if you want to engage my services for private consulting, and you want to be part of my inner circle and become a private client, you're going to be able to find out more information about that at expatmoney.com. That's it. I hope you guys have a fantastic week and I will see you next Wednesday. Okay, bye. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.